Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who with Christ gives you and me every single spiritual blessing. Good evening and welcome, my friends. We've heard the text. It's Genesis 3, as it has been read during the service. Let's bow our heads together and pray. We thank you, Christ. New life is ours, new light, new hope, new strength, new powers. This grace our every way attend until we reach our journey's end. Amen. The little boy, age nine, he came running into the house, slammed the door behind him, and he ran up and pounded up the stairs into his bedroom. His father was there in the kitchen, and he was working on his work, his profession. He could tell something was wrong by how hard the door had slammed and by how hard he was pounding up those stairs. So the father decided he would just take a little time and he would finish his work and then he would go up and see what was happening with his son. Father calmly went up the steps and opened up the boy's door to his room. He could see his son was visibly upset. He sat down on the bed next to him just observed for a moment or two. And then he asked him what had happened, what was wrong. In all his emotion, the boy didn't want to talk about it, he said to his dad. And so the father patiently gave his son a little bit more time and then asked again what had happened. And now this time, this time, the boy, he just unloaded. It's all her fault. She can't keep up with me. She's a pest. She is annoying. She can't do all the things that I can do. She won't give me any space. It's her fault. The father could see that his son, again, was emotionally upset. It was getting worse, not better, as he was talking, which, which was out of character for the boy. And so he assured the son he heard why he was upset. But he wanted to know what had happened. And the father's passion and care only caused the boy to explode all the more. And this is your fault too. You always make me watch her. Why can't you do it? Why do you make me take her outside and have to follow along with me all the time? I want to be left alone. Again, the father was observing that the boy was becoming more and more upset. And this was out of character for his son. And so he was becoming concerned at this point. He knew something had happened. And it wasn't just the typical big brother having little sister get under his skin again. It had to be something more because as he observed his son, his son was becoming more and more worked up and emotional. And those emotions, they were all over the board. There was anger. He was scared. There was fear. There was agitation. There was uncontrollable sobbing. So the father realized whatever had happened had to be pretty important or serious because of his son's emotional state and because of the fact little sister hadn't come in and tattled yet. So the situation had gotten to this point. The father no longer cared why the boy thought he was upset. He only wanted to now know what had happened, and so he demanded an answer. 
The boy, shaken from his emotional state because of his father's demand, finally said, well, Dad, we were playing out back in the woods like usual, but sister was really annoying today. So I started to go in areas where I knew it was going to be harder for her to keep up with me. That way she had to work harder and she didn't have to talk so much. And so we were over there, and now he's at this point pointing out the window to a part of their land. We were over there, and it was really bumpy. And as we were running along and she was trying to catch up, she lost her balance, and her foot went into one of those old tree stumps, and she screamed. But I was so mad at this point, Dad. That's when I just came running right into the house. Dad, I'm sorry. As the boy was... Telling the father the story, his face grew more concerned with every word that the son shared. He was very familiar with his land. And so upon hearing that, he ran out of the boy's bedroom even, never even hearing his son's apology. The dad ran down the steps. He grabbed a bag off the kitchen table, went out the back door, dropped the bag on the deck, and took off into the area where the son had pointed. The father was listening and heard his daughter and started to run that way and finally found his little girl. And as he picked her up off the ground, his fears were confirmed. The reason that she screamed when her foot went into the old tree stump It was because it was the current house of a brand new litter of timber rattlers. And so when her foot went into the house, the baby rattlesnakes thought that they were under attack, and some of them struck back. The father, though, he was able to help. He was able to help because he finally found out not why, but what? And he was able to help. And so the father took his daughter back to the deck and laid her down next to his med kit that he had taken off the kitchen table and had put there on the deck. But more importantly, because of where they lived, he was a doctor that was usually the doctor called in to situations where people had been bit by something poisonous and needed anti-venom administered. And so this was a special med kit in which he kept with him because just in case he would be called into an emergency, he had different types of anti-venom. So the father administered the anti-venom to his daughter there on the deck, and although the situation was bad, it wasn't tragic. Because it was a litter of baby rattlesnakes, and not some older, more venomous snakes, his anti-venom was going to work. Now, don't get me wrong. The girl did suffer some problems with her calf muscle and into her ankle and foot. But overall, this girl went on to live a rather healthy life. The story I just told you is a true story. It's our story. It's our story with the backdrop of Genesis chapter 3. And it is a story that is entitled, Not Why, But What. And in this story, you and I, we are both the little boy and the little girl. 
Many times in our lives, we find ourselves in a situation very much like that little boy where we have all sorts of emotions due to the situation, depending on the situation. And as the result, what happens is you and I can often get fixated on the why and not the what. That was the case with Adam. When God came to Adam and then he came to Eve, he was not concerned with why Adam and Eve did what they did. He already knew. He was not there for an investigation to come and find the facts. No, what God wanted to know is what had happened. He was there to give them a chance to contritely confess what they had done. And folks, the same thing is true with us. It is second nature for you and me in our fallen condition to justify what we have done because of why we've done it. In other words, we justify what we've done by blaming somebody else and we like to pass the buck. We ignore our coveting by explaining why we covet. They have more than I do. We go before God and we justify why we hate somebody. Well, they're not like me. They make me hate them. We go before God and we justify our lustful thoughts by explaining why we've done them. It's because how they look. It's because of how they dress. Again, we explain why we disrespect somebody. Well, it's because their ideas are wrong. I'm right. They're not. Do you see how when we sin, we get fixated on the why we've done it and not what we've done it as we try to justify it? And then, just like we heard the little boy, and just like we know with Adam and Eve, we go that one step further, and too often we like to blame God then for our sin. Well, God, I covet because... You didn't give me enough. You're not as fair as you think you are, God. God, do you know why I was disrespectful? It's because you put the wrong people in charge over me. God, the reason I had those lustful thoughts is because you made that person look that way. God, you are at fault here. I hate them because you made them different than me. But see, just like the father with his son, and just like our Heavenly Father with Adam and Eve, God is not, uh, is not worried about the why. He doesn't need that. He is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He doesn't need to know why we sin. He already knows that. Rather, he wants when he comes to us to hear what we have done. God, I have sinned. And he wants that for us because then we can contritely confess our sins and he can help us. Because he can help us. And he does help us. And we need his help because you and I, we are that little girl in this story as well. We have been infected with the venom of Satan. When Satan, that snake, showed up in the garden, he infected Adam and Eve. And by doing that, he infected you and me and all people. But see, that venom didn't just eat away at the muscle fibers in our body. Satan's venom, the venom of sin, eats away at our entire body 
and soul. And it does much more than just shrivel up muscles or cause our bodies to go into paralysis. Rather, it can destroy and kill us now and eternally. And that is how come, my friends, God wants to know what happened and not why it happened. He wants to not know why we broke his commandments, but what did we do? God, I broke them and I am sorry. Because then when we come before him and confess our sins, he can and will help us and we need his help. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head and you will crush his heel. See, the father had the antidote. He knew how to make the antivenom. His son, the promised Messiah of this text in Scripture, was going to be the antidote that we needed. And so when the time was right, God the Father sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to save you, me, and all people from Satan's venom. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit created the antivenom we needed for our souls to the perfect life of Jesus. That antivenom was created by the holy suffering and death of Jesus on the real tree of life. And then, once that antivenom was created with the perfect life and death of Jesus, like any good physician would do, God knew it needed to be administered. And so God the Father and God the Son decided that was going to be the task of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what he does. He administered that to you at your baptism, where there he injected you with the perfect life and the holy death of Jesus. And see, he administers that anti-venom we need for sin every time we come before him, like we did at the start of the service, and we confess our sins Every time we allow our feed, uh, fool, uh, our soul to feed on his word, and every time you and I come and receive his body and blood in faith and take the medicine for immortality, the sacrament of the altar. Every time we do those things, God again and again administers that antidote that we so desperately need. Now, don't get me wrong, like that little girl, like Adam and Eve, we feel the effects of that venom every single day of our life. We suffer aches and pains as every single day we wake up, our body is deteriorating. We feel aches and pains and heartaches inside of us all the time because of all the things that we encounter in this sinful world. We endure hurt and pain all the way throughout our life in this valley of the shadow of death. But, like that little girl, just like Adam and Eve, we're saved. We are saved by the blood of Jesus. We are saved through that blood of Jesus that is administered to us again and again through the word and the sacraments. And so, you and I, we can go on to live a rather healthy life, knowing also that we're going to get to one day live a 
perfect life for all eternity. We can live a short life now as a Christian that is not fixated on why is this happening to me? Because as Christians, you and I again and again rather live lives that are fixated on what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have done for us. To that God be the glory. Amen.